Exodus chapter 19. The song says, gone, the stone is rolled back, gone, the tomb is empty, gone. He's going to sit upon his heavenly throne to reign triumphant over death. Sin is defeated. Jesus Christ is elevated. I said, Jesus Christ is elevated. I said, Jesus is elevated. Praise God. Chapter 19 of Exodus. And the Lord said to Moses, go unto the people and sanctify them today. And tomorrow let them wash their clothes. And be ready against the third day, for the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon the Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take ye to yourself that ye go not up into the mountain, or touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mountain shall be surely put to death. There shall not in hand touch it, but he shall be stoned or shot through. Whether it be a beast or a man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mountain. And, Mount and Moses went down from the mountain unto the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said unto them, the people, be ready against the third day, and come not to your wives. Verse 16, 17 to 19 said, and then the trumpet sound. It was the call to ascension. To ascend from where they were to where he's at. Lord, bless this word of God. Bless our understanding of what you're doing right now. You're in this building. You're talking to us. You want to bless us, Jesus. And when you speak to this church, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, will you worship with me, church? Worship and praise, bring the presence of God. Worship and praise, bring anointing. Worship and praise, bring conviction. Worship and praise, release the supernatural power of Almighty God. He's not limited to me. He can work outside of me and inside of me. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Stay on the organ. Are you in the church triumphant? Are you in the Savior's bride? Come and be baptized into the body. And forevermore abide. Sing with me now. Are you in? Sing with all your heart. To the body. And forever. God bless you. May be seated. Tonight, I'm on a mission, and my title tonight is Preparing You for the Rapture. That is my title, Preparing This Church for the Rapture. While I was away, I did much studying 
spend a lot of time with the Word of God, preparing for when I return. And God spoke to me very strongly and often about preservation of the saints. It's a very high standard requirement to be a Christian. That's why the cowards don't get started. And the feeble-minded don't continue. But the brave and the strong prevail. And I want you to know that God have a way of comparing his church to symbolics to give you an understanding of how he feels about the church. You don't want to miss New Year's service. Plan to be here. I got divine revelation for this church and divine installation for this church that's going to be more prominent than all the bad news the world has. I'm so glad God has a program. Man is having a plan, but God got a bigger plan. Praise God. But God said the church is the salt of the earth. And salt, before there was fridge and icebox, salt was the medium to stop the corrupting of meat. You could keep meat for days, for weeks. Salt would prevent it from being rot, from putrefaction. And God told Israel, at no time when you come to worship me must the salt be lacking. God told Israel, don't you ever bring leaven in my presence. Leaven represents sin. The only time leaven was accepted to God was when the day of Pentecost. God said, bring two loaves. And those two loaves represent Jews and Gentiles with a new offering and leaven was allowed. That's the only time in all the worship of Israel can they bring leaven. Leaven is a type of sin. Leaven corrupts. Leaven causes putrefaction. In fact, we learn from the Bible when they saved up the manna contrary to God's word, it stank. It breathed worms. But when they followed the divine order, it was preserved. There was a preservation of the leaven. It lasted one day, two days, three days. And no one got sick from worms and corruption. When they kept it contrary to God, worms came and God got angry. There's something about the preservation of the saints. <clears throat> I know society... And in the news media, with their cocky haughtiness, they're telling the professing church, if you want to grow, if you want my membership, you have to change your doctrine, got to change your standard, change your dress code, change what you believe, otherwise we are not coming to your church. I got news for them, I don't need you in my church. What I need is God's spirit. When I got Jesus, I got everything. I am complete in him. And I don't need them. I need him. I'm like Moses. If he's not here, I'm not going to hang around here. I'm going to hang around where Jesus is. So whether they come or not is irrelevant. It don't stop my prayer meeting. Don't stop my preaching. It don't stop my praying. Don't stop my doing what's right because after death comes judgment. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Amen. And so the church does not have to conform or reform by the world standard. 
the church must be always the body of Christ. Christ's body did not seek corruption. Christ was not in the grave aiming to see putrefaction. The Bible says, Bible says his body will not seek corruption. That means the church will not be corrupted. Now, God set a high standards for his church. And I was looking at my mother-in-law not long ago and look at other ladies. I look at my mother in her 80s, going towards her 90s, and I look at her body and her faculty was still with her. Then I'm reminded how God told Moses that, that before he died, all your faculties and all your whatever is still there. It's not abated. God just said, lay down and die. Not because you're sick, but I want you higher than where you are. I want you to get ready for the transfiguration way down the road. Amen. And so God can preserve his saints, and he will preserve the saints. When God called you out of the world, he called you to be a saint. We don't have dead saints in the church. This is not Catholicism. This is Christianity. Corinthians said you're called to be saint, sanctified saint. That means set apart, chosen. God still say, come out from amongst them. Be ye separate. Touch not unclean things. He said, preacher, Teach my people the difference between holy and the unholy, between the clean and the unclean. God will have a clean church. God will have a holy church. I don't care how bad things get on earth. The gates of hell shall not, cannot, will not prevail against the preservation of the saints. At no time the church will lack salt. Now we got our, you know, our imitators out there. We got our uh, supposed duplicators out there. And the people that know, know the truth get deceived by them. But God's people are not deceived. He said, my sheep knows my voice. And when the blind need the blind, they both fall in the ditch. There's no ditch in this church. Amen. Just the open window of heaven. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And the Bible says, if this gospel is hit, it's hit to them that are lost. Thank God this was not hit. I found the pearl of great price. I sold all to get it. You can't mingle the two. God will not be hyphened, amen, to some other state of religion or some other beliefs that you have. It's all or nothing. He said, I am God and there is none else. Thou shalt not worship any of the gods beside me. Now, when I was studying the word of God, here's some high requirements God has for his church. And you wonder, how is he going to do it? First of all, he said, no man can pluck you out of my hand. That's powerful. Before he can do that, you have to destroy the strongman of the house. And his house is me and you. And God in us, the, the hope of glory. And the only way anybody can overthrow this body, they have to overthrow Jesus Christ. He said, no man can pluck into my body. Amen. And he says, unto him that is able, listen now, to keep believers from falling. Can you imagine that? God said, 
I will keep you from falling. And I will preserve you and present you on that day faultless. Can you believe that? That it's possible for us to be faultless? You're going to have to be. Not trying to be. You're going to have to become. The church that he's building will be faultless, blameless, unrebukable, spotless, no wrinkles, perfect, undefiled, sanctified, glorified, justified, baptized, and not mummified. Whether you believe it or not, God can keep a believer from falling. God can keep us faultless. God can maintain us blameless, spotless, without spot or wrinkle. Now, the church have escaped the pollution of this world. True believers have escaped the filthiness of the flesh. We have cleansed ourselves from it. We are free of defilement. That's the kind of church he's going to have. Doesn't matter whether Brother Neely or not meet those requirements. That's the requirement of a church. That's what defines a church. Without pollution, without filthiness of the flesh, without defilement, without condemnation, without subjugation and bondage to sin. If any man is in Christ, sin shall not have dominion over them. Now, the question is, in our present world, can anybody live this life? Did God raise a standard that we cannot live? Now, the world don't like us to teach about standard, but God put a plumb line in this church. That plumb line is Jesus Christ. Amen. Be ye holy as I am holy. If you are not holy like he is, forget it. I don't care how much you pay your tithe, how much choir song you sing, how much musical instrument you play. I don't care how much preaching you do. If you're not holy, you're not going to see God. Only the pure in heart are going to see God. Only the peacemakers are going to be called the children of God. Can you clap hands to Jesus? Now, you don't know this, but I'm going to bring it to your attention. Revelation actually is the, is the consummation of the book of Acts. All the way through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see the builder of the church laying the foundation upon which he'd build his church. And that foundation is Christ. That solid rock is Christ. He's building a church on himself. Upon this rock, I will build my church. I got news for you. He has built his church. As I speak in heaven right now, there are billions and quintillions of people in heaven called the church, worshiping him night and day, blessed of God. And the key factor is they are overcomers. They're blameless, unrebukable, spotless, chaste virgins, cleansed, purified, sanctified, glorified, 
baptized. We down here are going through, hello, hello, we're going through the mill. We are unfinished product. You're not finished product. When you are finished, you'll be off the assembly line. We are the workmanship of Jesus. We're not in heaven yet. The gates have not yet clicked behind us. Amen. Now, Revelation, turn there in your Bible. Pick it up in your hand. Most churches don't want to read it. Don't want to talk about it. But God gave to the last apostle before he died. Now, I want this church to know, when Jesus died, he went to heaven and sat down. In Revelation, he's standing up. You don't sit down if the work is not finished. But if the work is finished, amen, he will sit down. Why is Jesus Christ standing up? Revelation chapter 1 tells you. Now, Asia is where all the bombs are falling right now and the wars are carrying on. Right where the early church was. Right where the church of Smyrna, Ephesus, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. God chose them as a model of how the church would remain till he comes. The condition they were in. Each of those churches were apostolic churches. Acts 19 tell you how the Ephesian church started. And, per and Tyra Tyra, we know in Acts, somewhere 15 or somewhere down the road, Paul went down there and had a vision to save a woman and got thrown in jail over it. We know how they got started. Now, church, we all got started right by the grace of God, but we all don't continue to live right. And so that God is merciful to his church and his believers and the saints, he gave us three parables about the lost son, the lost sheep, and the lost silverware in the house. Each of those messages is talking about you and me when we fall from grace. When for whatever reason we turn our back on truth and we stray and we're in a state of being lost. Amen. And he showed us in his teaching, in every case there was a search made. Amen. For that lost thing in the house, a desire was made to bring it back. Restoration is personified in that message. That sheep was brought back to the fold. That son that lost everything in disgrace was brought back into the family by grace. What God is trying to teach his church members, it's not his will. But if you by any means slip and slide and you fall into sin, it's not his will that you be damned. He has a word called repentance. He said, you don't need to be baptized again with water. Amen. But you need to be found. That lost sheep 
can be restored. That's why we don't give up on backsliders. That's why we don't give up on people who strayed from the faith. They may return back to the Father's house. He's not willing that any should perish. And the whole book of Revelation, chapter 3 and 4, in fact, chapter 2 and 3, is about the message of reconciliation. God is preparing you that you will not be left behind. It's not his will. Not every one of us tonight, if we leave this earth, would go straight to heaven. Or maybe we would. Or maybe we won't. But I'm going to tell you right now, after death comes judgment. There's no reconciliation after death. There's no redemption after death. And everybody who make it in that city have got to be faultless, blameless, unrebukable, spotless, chaste virgin, perfect unto God, otherwise they cannot make it in. It is impossible. That's why the book is written. We're going to look tonight at those seven churches. And I'm going to tell you those seven attitudes are in this church. They're in every church that calls itself the truth. I'm not talking about false churches now. I'm talking about the true Pentecostal apostolic oneness faith. I'm not talking about false religion. We know they exist. They're not my interest tonight. And God said to the church in Ephesus, write. To the church in Smyrna, write. To the church in Pergamos, write. To the church in Thyatira, write. To the church in Sardis, write. To the church in Philadelphia, write. To the church in Laodicea, write. Chapter 2. And verse 1, all the way to chapter 3, and verse 22, is to those seven churches. Now, you know that God told us in the scripture, Paul, writing to the Corinthians, and told you and me that we are an espoused church. Chapter 11, St. Corinthians, verse 1 to 2, we're told we are espoused to Christ as a chaste virgin. You know that Esther could not see the king without preparation to meet him. She could not see the king. She had to be purified. And you know in Ephesians 5, 32 to 38, the relationship in marriage between the church members and Jesus Christ, Paul called a great mystery. Revelation Chapter 19 and verse 7 to 8 says, The marriage between Christ and his church is ready. In chapter 21 and verse 9, it said, Let me show the Lamb's wife. In the 22nd chapter and verse 17, it says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Well, I'm going to show you tonight. I know all kind of people come through our church doors around the world. He wrote to the star of each of those churches. Star mean ministers, leaders, pastors, gatekeepers. The best church office in the job is to be an usher. They're going to come through that door. The, pot, the porter is the keeper of the door. Amen. And the good shepherd is up front. 
And they have to give an account who do you let through that door. And so he said, look now, I want you right to those seven stars in my hand. Seven stars. When do you need a star? In the nighttime. When do you need a candlestick? In the nighttime. If the light of the candle goes out, you're in darkness. If the star loses light, it means it has fallen. And he wrote and said, I'm in the midst of the candlestick. In other words, this church is a candlestick. And even though you can't see him, he's present with you. For he said, Lo, I am with you always. There's a Jesus in this church. And the Lord is telling you and me, get the church ready like Moses was told to get Israel ready. Two days to prepare Israel to meet God. On the third day, he would meet them at Mount Sinai. 2,000 years since Christ came and built a church, we are in a state of preparation. For the return of Jesus for this church. Amen. And the Bible know if a Christian died before that, they're present with the Lord. And if they're not, they're still absent from the Lord, but he's in our midst. He said, write to them. I'm going to point some things out to you. And what God is saying to the church is, through the ministry, Clean that woman up before I get there. Don't let me find her in that state. Because if she don't meet this requirement I have, she will not be in my bride. Church, this is why you can't serve God based on emotionalism. You've got to serve God based on his specification. You got to meet God's standard because hell is long. Lake of fire is hot. Eternity is forever. And it doesn't profit you one bit to violate any of his word just to be comfortable in the flesh. And God says, I want you to present your body in this present world as a living sacrifice. In other words, you're not going to do something which are lawful for you to do by government standard, but not expedient to do by Christianity. To the church in Ephesus, right. The angel of the church. Jesus revealed himself in verse 1 as the one that holds the seven stars in the midst of the seven candlestick. He said in verse 2 to 3 and 6, I know the strength of that church. And church, our good deeds won't mess us up. It's the little foxes in the vine. It's going to hurt you. God says, I know your strength in evangelism and separation. You can't stand those who say they're apostles and they're false. But verse 4 and 5 say, you got a problem. I have someone against you. It's not, folks. That's where the problem starts. I've got this against this church. You have left your first love. 
You're the threat. Verse 5. I'm going to move your candlestick. My Lord. I thought you love us, Jesus. Is that the way you talk to your wife to be? I'm going to move your candlestick. Except you repent. In other words, the whole book of Revelation 2 to 3 is the book of ability to be restored back from your fallen state. I'm giving you space before I come. In other words, when I come, I don't want your vessel to be empty of oil. I don't want your wheat goes out. I want you to be ready because God said my coming will be sudden. And if you don't change while I give you that space, you won't have time to change when I come. Because when I come, I will not tarry. But in a moment, in the twink of an eye, there shall be an ascension and a left behind of people. There will be a separation. The rapture will be the final separation between the wheat and the tares. Between the good fish and the bad fish. No matter how much you argue, I don't care how long you have been in church, how long you've been on the, the name of role of the roll call of the church, it doesn't matter. If you don't meet what God says, you're just not going to be. And God told this church, I'm about to move your candlestick. Now, so look at this. I'm going to move you out of here. In other words, I'm going to move you out of my kingdom and put you outside of the church. But God, I'm evangelistic. I hate false doctrine. But God said, that's not enough. You got some spots and some wrinkles here. You have left your first love. You know what that first love is? God. God said, but I'm going to give you a chance. Here's restoration. He said, I'll threaten to remove your candlestick, but it doesn't have to happen. Verse 7, I'm going to give you a promise as an overcomer. If you can overcome allowing your love become wax cold and different towards me, I will give you the tree of life. You call it a motivational incentive program. I'm going to give you a reason why you should seek repentance. In other words, I don't want you to be left behind. I don't want to move your candlestick. I don't want to move you out of the church. I want to keep you in the church. So I'm going to give you a road of turning around. Remember? The lost sheep brought it back. Did he not? The lost coin, he brought it back in circulation. The lost son, he brought him back. I said, I'm not willing that you be left out of the church. I want you in the body of Christ. Now, did Ephesus repent? I don't know. The question is, do you have the problem Ephesus have? Because these seven churches are type and shadows of how things are going to be before the trumpet is blown and the church is caught up. How many of you tonight have lost your first love for God? In other words, when you came in church, you were excited, you were motivated, you loved Jesus, but now have the things of this world eaten up that love. He said, Peter, do you love me more than these? And the Lord said, when you're converted, Peter, feed my sheep. Amen. Then we read in chapter 2, in verse 8 to 11. He wrote to the church in Smyrna, in verse 8. He wrote to the star, the minister of that church. 
Now, people don't like when preachers preach truth. And they want us to make accommodation for their worldly dress code, their worldly standard, their worldly belief, their satanic promises and practices. But this preacher is not moving. I am not budging. So you might as well forget it. Praise God. We don't have the authority to change what God settled. We can only preach it. Praise you the Lord. To the church in Smyrna, he said, I am the first and I am the last. I was dead and I am alive every morning. In other words, hey, I got power over death and life. I got the keys. He said, here's your strength. You are persecuted. You're small. You got very little strength. And so he said in verse 9 to 10, I really can't find no thing wrong with you except the fact you're being persecuted. Hello. But do not sell out cheap just to live another day. Die a martyr's death. Because if you do, it says in verse 10 to 11, as an overcomer of your persecutors, I will give you power over the second death. So fear none of those things that the devil brings about and against you. Somewhere in this world, there is a church living right. The first thing people do when they come through that church is compare this church to the one they came from. And who tell you that this church is going to be based on the standard of the church you came from? Why should we conform to their standard? We don't even know who they are. No. They're not my standard. I don't have to explain what they did and what they do and how they do it. They have to get their reward for what they're doing. But I'm going to preach what I know is right. Because God's writing to me, not to him. Not to them. And God said to this church, if you overcome, the key word is, if you overcome, you escape the second death. Think about it, church. He's preparing them for the coming of his bride to be with them. Then in verse 12, he wrote to the church in Pergamos. In verse 12 to 17, he said, look, I want you to repent. Because in verse 12, he said, look, I am the one with the two-edged sword in his mouth. Now, Jesus Christ, please, why would you approach your bride with a sword in your mouth? I'd rather you come with some roses. Wouldn't it be kind of nice? But here's talking to this church and got a sword in his hand, a two-edged sword, and he's threatening the church. Verse 13, he said, I know some of your strengths, but that's not enough to keep you saved. He says, I know you haven't denied my name and you haven't denied my faith. However, in verse 14 and 15, you can tolerate false doctrine. You tolerate Balaam who teach you can mix the godly saints with ungodly believers in marriage, in association, and such like. And he got this doctrine of Nicholas. There is no law, it's all grace. 
Church, everybody who walks through that door is not a child of God. Everybody who walks through that door is a prospect for God, but not a child of God. Hello? And this church called Pergamos just embraced everything that came through the door and embraced false doctrine, tolerated, put up with it, Put up with, you know what Balaam was? Look who Balaam was. That caused Israel to stumble. You know, I travel. I've seen churches that people come in there with all kind of stuff. I thought, they, thank God I'm pastor this church. Thank God I don't belong to this church. I'm just passing through. This church tolerates false doctrine put them behind the pulpit when they're not even born again, when they have no sign of, of conversion, put them on piano and guitars and musical instrument when they don't even live for God and don't have the credential and all they bring is the word in the church and defilement just because they can sing, because they can play, because they can pay tithe. And you tolerate them. He tolerate their false doctrine. He tolerate their, their evil association and Nicholas doctrine. And Jesus says, I hate those things. Can't imagine this church practicing what God hates. That's the cry. Holy, holy, holy. And he threatened them in verse 15 to 16. Don't you pick on this preacher. You pick on Jesus. He said, I'm going to fight against every convert so-called in that church. He said, I'm coming with a two-edged sword. Hallelujah. Now, we know most churches, Jesus doesn't have a seat in that church. But I'm coming with a two-edged sword. I'm going to kill everyone in that pew. That's what he said. Read it. I'll fight again against him with the sword of my mouth. Amen. In other words, stop tolerating false doctrine, false apostles, false preachers. Well, Pastor Neve, this guy is a pastor. You know, he got his license. So what? Well, he can preach. So what? Well, he can sing. So what? Don't mean a thing to me. I'm like David. I haven't proven that. I don't go fight Goliath with things that I don't prove. A little leaven get in this church will leaven the whole thing. A little bit of sin will destroy the whole thing. Once you get the devil behind this thing, my friend, you can't get it out. And this church called Pergamos, God's going to fight against them, but I'll give her a chance to repent. In verse 15, 16, I'm going to fight against her. But if she will repent and get rid of Nicholas and Balaam doctrine and influence, then God says, I'll give her the hidden manor and white stone and a new name. Saints of God, the last thing you want this preacher that passed to you to do is to be a compromiser. You don't stand a chance of being saved. Once he opened the floodgate, all the devils walk through and take over your children 
your doctrine and your faith, and pretty soon you can't tell what's right from wrong. Balaam confused Israel. Ahab confused Israel. And old mad Jehoshaphat couldn't tell the difference between the voice of God and the voice of Baal worshipers. But God says, you can't be restored. It's not that case. You can't be restored. We know guys that drink alcohol, call it communion wine, strong drink. Not in this church. If I go to any church and offer communion, I'm not taking it. I don't know what they're drinking. I don't care if they're Jesus in church. I ain't taking it. Because these lips are not going to taste alcohol. I have come out from it. And I don't want people to come in this church and have a flashback. A relapse. Praise God. Hallelujah. God said, clean up the church before I get there. I'm coming in a moment, in the twinkle of an eye. It's too fast, you can't change. They said, go down to Tyra, Tyra. Verse 18 to verse 29. And call her to repentance also. And God revealed himself as the Son of God, whose eyes are as flames of fire, and whose feet are as burnt brass. Have you noticed how he revealed himself to each of those churches? Hallelujah. He said, I know your strength, but church is not enough to keep you in the faith. Amen. He said, I know your charity. I know your patience. I know your faith. But you got some weaknesses that is your problem. And you know a rope is only as strong as the weakest link. So is this church. What's the weakness of this church? Do we compromise? Do we tolerate false doctrine? Do we allow Jezebel to come in here and, and dictate how we should run the church? You know what Jezebel is? Painted face woman. Decked her from earring to nose ring to toe rings. Tie their head, sassy look. And wear their pantsuit. And usurp authority over men of God. And speak evil of dignitaries. Jew talk about them. And God said, this church not only tolerate Jezebel, but allow her to teach. Get her behind the pulpit, God's sacred desk, to teach God's holy people to fornicate, to eat abominable things. And the church does nothing about it. The church is quiet. Allows it to happen. Jezebel that killed Naboth and took his vineyard is now going to take away their birthright and rob you, saint of God, and make you do abominable things. And just, I'd rather not have any converts in this church than have a house full of converts. And end up like Eliezer, God said, don't bring her back to me if she's not the right type. He said, that girl will not come on your condition. Do not bring her here. And don't bring my son down to her. Our job is to bring you up to the level of holiness. Inside, outside, all side of you. 
based on the apostolic doctrine, not the standard of our world dress code. We don't want a media standard. We want a heavenly standard. When the devil is descending, I want us to be ascending to God. I want God to say, come on in, thou faithful servant. I will enter thou in the joy of the Lord, because the joy of the Lord is my strength. Come on, church, why waste time on earth if we're not going to do it right? You have signal the devil and tell him, you don't have me in your bosom, friend. Jezebel. Hallelujah. Kill anybody who loves truth. God says, I'm going to come in there. I'm going to take her through the great tribulation. Verse 22, 23. This church can't miss hell and tribulation if we allow Jezebel to walk through that door. Amen. But God did give Jezebel a space. To repent. And she did not do it. I've been here since 1980. I've preached to people who are in their grave. Some fought and die fighting. And I hope they end up where they wanted to go. I wish them no evil. But like I said this morning, if they neglect so great salvation... God told the man in hell, your chance days are over. I can't solve your problem. In your lifetime, you had Moses and the prophets. And now where you are, I can't help you. Because there's no repentance in the grave. I gave her space to turn around. Let me tell you, there are preachers that don't care if they go to hell as long as you grease their hands with your money. And grease them with your presence. And smile at them. And wash their car. And cook for them. And do all these God and God stuff. But that's not salvation. You don't need a placebo. You need someone who operates you on the operating table. And cut the cancer out of you. Whatever you got to do, preacher. Don't let me die and go to hell. Tell me the truth. Show me the way. Uh, that guys told me and, and boy they lied to me pastor if you see me doing wrong amen just come and tell me and I told them and they walked out on me some of you want to punch me and beat me up and they walk out of there and sin today and some die in their sins boy I was their pastor I told them the truth and I said you can't do that you can't live that way that's wrong hello and they chose to end up in the tribulation because you know what? Jezebel don't believe nothing my kind of preachers. Jezebel got her own prophets. 450 plus 4 plus 400, 850. And they're busy fighting Elijah and definitely hate Micah. You don't want a preacher who tickle your ears. You want somebody who will prick you in the heart. Catch you in the heart and cause you to repent, amen, and find the grace of God and be saved when Jesus comes. You want the truth, nothing but the truth to help me, God. Otherwise, why go to church? Can you imagine? I spent all my life going to church and then going to hell afterwards. 
How about we go to Las Vegas and play, play the roulette and get drunk? At least I enjoy life and sit for a season. So I'm going to kill our kids in tribulation. Verse 24, 29. But God don't put anybody as hopeless. He said if she'll repent. Hallelujah. I'll give her power over nations. And give her the morning stars. Thank God the lost sheep can be found. The lost coin can be brought back into circulation. The prodigal son can receive acceptance. You haven't gone so far that God can't restore you. God says, I can restore every one of those churches if they will just turn. Praise God. I've been to places where people don't want to hear me, hear me preach. I'm not the ticket box, ticket drawer. God, I'm not, I can't preach the way they want me to preach. Amen. They told my God to preach. I can't do that. God's telling this church, get ready before I get there. Because you won't have time to change when I arrive there. Either you got the oil or you don't have the oil. Hello? So we go down to Sardis, chapter 3, and verse 1 to 6. He said, I am the one with the seven spirits of God. If you want to know what those seven spirits are, go to chapter 11 of the book of Isaiah. He'll tell you what they are, the seven spirits of God. He'll tell you what they are. You notice here God is saying, I come in your midst to match your situation. We do not compare saints with saints. We don't compare preachers to preachers. We don't compare choir to choir. We compare them all to Jesus. He's your standard. I don't care what people think about you is irrelevant. It's what Jesus says on your report card that makes the difference. He's the only one that can tell you what you really are because he is not unrighteous. Let's worship Jesus. Church, is this all right? You know, my mommy and daddy is gone. Whoever preached to them got to deal with them over there. And I don't want to go to hell. I don't want you, but I want to go to hell. I confess to you, I don't want to go to hell. I confess to you, I want to be saved. I confess to you, I'll do anything God said just to be saved. I'm ready to let go of everything. I don't want to be lost, church. I'm trying to tell somebody here, I won't let jewelry, drugs, and alcohol, wine, women, and song keep me out of heaven. It ain't worth a flip. Whatever it takes for my will to bring. God says, Sardis, chapter 3, verse 1 to 6. You are dead. Now, church, I'm praying for you every day because you have not yet overcome prayer. You know, I know I walk in the prayer room. It's as quiet as a cemetery. And I know you're praying deep in the spirit. You're praying like Anna, you know, just your lips moving. And that's good. I'd like to hear your voice also out there. Because when Jesus Christ prayed, he prayed with strong, what? Crying. What did he do? He prayed so loud they could hear him way down the road. And the Bible said when he was praying, sweat poured off him. Like blood. He was praying so 
earnestly. Thank God. God, I saw men of God pray, and I said, I learned how to pray. Okay? They walk, I walk. They shout, I shout. And pretty soon, you know, their faith began to affect me. And pretty soon, I got it all in my system that you cry out to the Lord. He says, Sardis, you're dead. I got nothing good to say about you, Sardis. In verse 4, there's nothing I can say good about you except you got a few people that are half dead and some are ready to die. He's talking about the church. This church is popular, well-known. Hey, church, we're not defined by how many is on the pews. We're not defined by the size of the congregation, the size of the choir that called the robes. We're not defined by the parking lot filled with cars. We're not defined, amen, by the fact that your preacher is popular. No. No, church. Have we been changed? He says, look, I got some people there in Sardis that if God don't show up, they're going to die. He said in verse 1 to 2, you're dead. You're dead, Sardis. But you got some people who are struggling to fight live for God. Trying to live for God. I know a friend who went to a church one time at a conference. He was praying. And the elders stopped him and said, You're praying too loud. You're disturbing other people. Oh, I thought David danced disturb his wife too. I thought the alabaster box that the woman break on Jesus disturbed the apostles. And they called it waste, but he called it worship. He said, I'm going to blot your name out, but not their name, in verse 3. If you don't repent, I'm going to blot your name out. Church, people said, oh, Pastor Neil, that's a legalistic, man-made religion, giving God's people a bunch of hard time. You listen to that voice? That's Jezebel talking to you. That's Balaam talking to you. That's Nicholas talking to you. And you follow that, you can't miss hell, honey. You sure won't miss them. You're going to walk in there with your eyes wide open, deceived. This is Jesus Christ telling these churches that have their weaknesses, overpowering them. He told Ephesus, I'm going to move your candlestick. Amen. He told Pergamos, I'm going to fight against you. He told Tyra, Tyra, I'm going to kill your converse. He told Sardis, I'm going to blot your name out. Does that sound like Jesus? He's all love. That's not true. Jesus Christ is like a coin. There are two sides to them. Judgment and grace. Let's worship God. Verse 5, he said, those who overcome, thank God there's hope. No matter how much I've fallen, there's still hope. He said, I'll give you a white robe, robe if you overcome. And I won't blot your name out. I'll let you walk with me in white because you be, have to be worthy. 
Well, who's going to try to wear worthy, Pastor Neil? Let me tell you, friend, some folks quit church and say, well, I'll leave church because Sister So-and-So treat me bad. Who is Sister So-and-So? Sister So-and-So don't shake my hand. Big deal. Thank God you won't need a uh, cleanser for your hands. They don't talk to me. Thank God they won't distract you. This ain't no loving place. I come to worship God. And if you don't like the way I worship God, too bad. Get your mind on Jesus. Leave me alone worshiping my God. <laughs> David said, leave me alone. Let me worship God the way I know how. Let's worship God. <coughs> I don't know why you're not shouting tonight. But church, I'm preaching the truth. I'm preaching the truth. This is how the seven churches are going to be, and we are one of those or all of those churches. But God said there's hope if we have fallen. There's space. There's room for repentance. There's a place where we can be restored. Go down to the church of Philadelphia and, and write to the preacher. Amen. I got friends who change, you know. When I knew them first, there was no Arians and lipstick in their church. Now there is on their platform. They call, they call them prophetess. Their fingers full of ring. They got more diamond than there is in, in Africa. Hello. Their pants is as tight, more tight on the coat that's on. Uh, I don't know what to say. I better not say it. I've got to face my wife later. So I don't want to be scolded by my wife. So I won't say it. Tight pants. You wonder who's the man in the church? The man got long, nice flowing hair. Now they're bobbing it up with a bun. All they like now is cheese. Nice, cute little boys. Long fingernails, claw like a eagle. Hello. And the woman is as bald as I am. Now, church, I don't care what sinner does when they walk through that door. But you don't need those African braids. Those are horse hair. And that horse may get in a bad mood one night and let off some stench that you won't like. I walked into the room and I put some of my head up. I said, put this one on. How's it look? I've almost tempted to take a picture to show you guys. How cute your pastor would look with this fancy hairdo coming down. Church, God promised to beautify you with salvation. There's nothing wrong if a woman is bald and she put a wig on her head. But my God, when you cut yours off to put on a horse hair on, something wrong with you, my friend. 
Ooh, it's pretty quiet around here. God said, I like nothing that's false. And so Philadelphia, I'm coming to close. I know you, I know you want me to close. It's pretty tough on you. You know, hey, you, you young preacher, you know, you young guys, I'm getting mad at you guys. I'm going to get mad at you someday. I'm going to get, get you by yourself and just ball at you. I can't stand you get up here and just talk. Just, just talk. You, you sound like a Baptocostal. You lack energy. You lack anointing. I think fake it. Fake it till it comes. Well, you know, folks, uh, oh, my, you pansy. Get off it. Hi, folks. And the Lord said, Ooh, get off it. Get with it. I love Sunday school where the man can raise his voice. Shout. Don't put me to bed. This ain't no therapy. Now, I, I know some of you love therapists. On Sunday morning, you come to church for your favorite therapist. But why do I shout? Am I faking it? No, I feel it. It should be like fire. Shut up in your bone. Why don't you imitate the preacher? Do I shout? Yes, you should too. Get anointed. Don't just talk to us. I mean, not the spirit. That's all they talk. I went to a Bible school one time. The guy took me there, and I couldn't believe. He's reading the book of Hebrew, and the guy was as dead as a as an undertaker, I thought, my God, how can I want this preacher to be so dead? And God said, it is possible. <laughs> Chapters 3, verse 7 to 13. Verse 7, God says, I'm holy and I'm true. Have the keys of David and open and no man shutteth. God says, I know your strength. You're loyal. You're faithful. Amen. But you got a little strength. He says, I can't find nothing wrong with you except you're just weak in numbers. I got no threat against you. And then verse 10 to 12. He says, Look, I'm going to let you escape the great tribulation. I'm going to make you a pillar in the house of my God. Church, it pays to live for God. And before I close tonight, God said, It's possible. For a church somewhere on earth to be living right. Because Smyrna and Philadelphia, no weaknesses were found. Hello? Come on, somebody. The last one was Laodicea. And some folks like to feel this is the way the church is going to be in the last days. And I hope that's not us. Because this is the worst of all the churches. This is the worst of all the churches. Let us see in verse 14 and 22. The Bible said, I am the amen, the faithful, the true, and the witnesses, and the beginning of the Christian of God. And God says, strength, you've got none. Weaknesses, you've got a ton load of them. He says, you're blind. Listen to this. You are naked, you are wretched, and he's telling her 
the riot act and says, church, he says, I honestly feel sick right now. I want to vomit. <gasps> he says, I want to vomit. I want to spew you out of my mouth. No, insipid drink. He says, I would to God you were hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. The most terrible thing is a lukewarm coffee, lukewarm soup, lukewarm food. Don't invite me to dinner if you can't heat it up. I want to see the steam coming out of it. I go to some restaurant. I said, look, man, heat this up till it burn my tongue. And they bring it back piping hot and waiting for me to try it. I said, I believe you. Go ahead. I trust you. It is hot. They want to watch me burn. <laughs> but church, I'm going to spew you out. Now, church, what would you say if God come to this church and said, I'm going to spew you all out. I'm going to blot your name out. I'm going to kill the converse that came in this church. I'm going to fight against you with my mouth. I'm going to move your candlestick. Out of seven churches, only two of them found grace with God. But God said there's places for repentance. If you repent and you open up the door, I'll come in and sit with you. And I will make you sit on throne with me. And church, what do you notice here in closing? The next thing happened was, and then I saw a door open where? Let us stand. Now you know why preachers preach the way they do. I don't want to go to church of my choice. I want God to set me in the body of Christ. Hallelujah. When I came to God, I said, God, I don't know this man. But you told me to obey. And if I'm lost, I'm going to blame you and him. Because I'm going to do what he says. Like a little child. And beloved church, I didn't know doctrinal truth like I know today. But I look back and I thank God that I did find the right place. Seven churches. Five are about to be trashed. Did Jesus got what he wanted? Paul says, Yes, when the church come through victoriously, she'll give up our mortality for immortality. When the church ascended to heaven, the corruptible will be gone for the incorruptible. It said the carnal will no longer be to be holiness, and the earth will be gone, and the heaven takes over, and we shall be fashioned after his body. Church, God told me to tell you right now, you will not have time to change when he calls the bride home. It was so fast, so rapid, and every church that got messed up and left behind will fall in one or all of these categories here. Because this is the sample God gave us. 
Just like I know who's going to win the war in Armageddon, I just know who's going to make the bride. He says, come, let me show you the Lamb's wife. Let me tell you, church, if this church, like in 1980, when we used to go downtown, and we used to go down there and fellowship a lot, I had to teach the church how to fellowship one with another because they didn't know how to do that, so I'd teach them how to do it. We go down to Boston Pizza, and, and uh, we should be in the pizza joint there, and the church come down there, and other churches would be around, and you could tell it's different. Our ladies' hair was not cut. They didn't, forgive me, we've got a pantsuit on in this place tonight, but our women didn't have a pantsuit on. They were not painted up. They had no jewelry. They were just normal looking. The man didn't look sissify effeminate and long hair. Huh? Looked like real men. They're dressed right. God changed them. And they look godly and holy. And people recognize the difference. If we walk in a crowd and they can't pick us out, then we are not the salt of the earth. If we are among them and they can't tell the difference, then you are not shining as a candle. Your light has gone out. And you've become a part of the darkness. Now, I'm going to tell you here. Call up all the friends that you know and all the Pentecostal preachers you know and see how many are going to preach this to their churches. And if they did, how many would still be in the choir? Now, church, I'm not picking on any church. I'm preaching this church. There are doctrinal beliefs, and I know them. I can tell where they are. I won't tell you, but you can see for yourself. They will curse you. Now, my wife wear a hat. Come here, come here. Come here, please. She wear a hat. She don't have to wear this to go to heaven. But if she cut her hair, she ain't going nowhere. And we got these churches. They put their hat on, but they cut their hair. There is no scripture against our forehead. But there are scriptures against cutting your hair. And Jesus Christ says all that do that is an abomination. Now why don't those preachers tell them that? I'm going to pick on you some more. I'm preparing you for heaven. Stay with me. I don't have a ring here to, to, to show you. But the Pope has one and the, and, and the nun has one. When did they get married? When did they get married? When did the Pope got married? To whom? When did those nuns got married? And church, in the name of Jesus Christ, tell me, why not put the ring on the small finger or the big thumb? Why put it on this one right here? Why? They're telling well, Pastor Neil, you know, that those same people worship Christmas. Halloween. Pagan feast. And they know it's pagan. But they want to smooth the people. Satisfy their, their ego. 
Come on, preacher. Prophesy smooth things to me. Don't tell me the right thing. Don't do that. Give me the smooth stuff, preacher. They told one pastor in the Bible, don't preach here. Go over there and preach. This church belongs to the king. When you go on a travel, where do you go to church? Why do you pick that church? Why do you pick that church that you go to when you travel? Because you fit in? Because you close your eyes to the truth? Don't stir me, preacher. I don't want to see. There's nothing wrong with them. They're okay. They are? Which of those seven churches are okay? Which of them are okay? Where your sons and daughters go? Huh? Come here, Zachary. If I send Zachary long enough to Jezebel Church pretty soon, this will be Jezebel boy. It don't take long to get to him. I say it don't take long to get to him. Hallelujah. Ataliah. But, you know, give us the priesthood of Eli. Eli, know the boys are rotten, sleeping with the girls and committing fornication in church, but he won't rebuke them. Ooh. Well, you don't want your kid to go to heaven, don't you? Do you want to go to heaven? You better get to him before God gets to him. Would you bow your heads right now? Prepare for the rapture. Thank you, Zachary. Oh, it doesn't matter if you drink communion wine, strong drink. Come on, Pastor Neil. Don't be so narrow-minded. Don't be so, come on, you'll never grow. They told me this church will never grow. They told me that all the time, as if I told them I want to grow. Oh, my brother's church down the road. You know, here's how they do it. Hey, you go, you go tell Smyrna that. What is Smyrna, Pastor? Take a visit to Tara Tara. He'd be shocked. Would he not? The pastor of Philadelphia go to the church of Pergamos. What would he see? Jezebel. Raining. He'd be shocked. They kill Antipas. You know what Antipas was? Somebody said, I protest. This church cannot be built on compromise. We may grow in number but lose Jesus Christ. You'll lose the Holy Ghost. And beloved, if you want to come to this church, beloved, we can't lie to you. We got to tell you the truth. And it's up to you to choose afterward. But we can't lie to you and deceive you just to get you into membership. It's about fellowship, not membership. Who's God talking to tonight? Church, the top church, God says, prepare for the rapture. Holy, undefiled, without spots. Why are we valiant for truth? Why are we shouting, get excited, and dance like we dance when I preach prosperity and God's going to bless you with money and all that stuff? You shout and you cry. Why can't you cry right now? Why can't the world see that you believe what I'm saying? In that coffin, it does matter what you did live, what you believe. It does matter. And the preacher can't help you. Would you close your eyes right now? 
God's talking to somebody right now. But church, if you want to be the rapture, I want you to walk with me down this aisle. I say, God, whatever it takes for me to make it into heaven, I'd be willing to sacrifice.